This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. <laughs> just been reading a long letter from a serviceman's wife, and I wish I could read every word of it to you. Those of us who still live in our own homes with our own furniture can't possibly realize the discomforts and extra work many of these service wives have to put up with. This lady writes that the first thing she and her husband do to make an unattractive furnished apartment clean and livable is to give everything a good shining coat of Johnson's wax. Here are her own words. When I was back home, I never appreciated the expression, her house just shines, because all my friends' houses shone. Now I know that until my own things come out of storage, the Johnson's Wax shine on the furniture is my biggest link with the quality and cleanliness I hope for someday. It adds dollars to the appearance of any atrocity it meets, and a fairly presentable piece will respond in a way to make any girl sing. Please, Mr. Wilcox, keep right on telling them. The families I've moved in after are people who haven't yet heard you. Thank you, service lady. I'll do my best to get everybody to use Johnson's Wax. barber is usually a bald-headed man who sells hair tonic. His customers are usually men who like their hair and the conversation cut short around the ears. Like the man in the chair right now, a Mr. McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. So I'm writing President Roosevelt a letter, see? And in it, I'm saying to him, Dear Mr. President, look, kid, I got great ideas. Yeah, now, look, Nick, you told me how... Then in my own handwriting, which I am dictating to my wife because I don't write so somebody can read it, including me, <laughs> I'm going on to say, Look, I say, mm-hmm. the Army is needing plenty of ladies for a nursing. Is not? Yeah, but... So, also, we got thousands of guys who are too small on the eyesight for the draft, or maybe they got seven toes on one feet or something. <laughs> So I'm saying, why not take the rejectives and make them into guys for giving sick people the pills? 
Yeah, but if you don't mind, Nick, I'll. Of just... course, so far up to now, President Roosevelt, he don't sending me the answer. Yeah. Which is all right. Mm. He's just as busy as me, I guess. <laughs> Maybe I better send a telegram to the Manpower Commission and say, how about a shampoo? How can you give the Manpower Commission a shampoo? That question was not for the Commission. You, I'm asking. Huh? Oh, I need a shampoo? Everybody's needing a shampoo at the regular periods of the interval. Are you different? No, I guess not, Nick. Go ahead. Only after you shampoo it, put some dressing on it quick, because I got a natural part in my hair that runs from one ear across my head to the other ear. See? <laughs> Looks kind of funny until it's plastic. <laughs> yeah, smart my hair. <laughs> after shampooing, we all... Hey, wait a minute. Uh, how much is a shampoo? Fifty cents? Seventy-five. What? Six bits just to wash a guy's hair? Those are the ceiling prices, kiddo. That we got posted on the wall because nobody can reach the ceiling to pull them up. Why, so... that's enough. <laughs> Why, that's a dirty jip. Seventy-five cents to whip up a lather on a guy's skull and rinse it off again. Why, you scissor bill. <laughs> you high-handed, low-minded brush bandit. I got a good notion to report you to the OPA. Now, wait a minute, Mr. McGee. Let's not lose our temperature just because... Well, I won't got... wait a minute. Here's the four bits for my haircut, and you can take your shampoo and... The haircut was 75 cents, too. What? Another six bits for cutting off not enough hair to make a toupee for a tadpole? You got a lot of nerve. I'll wash my hair myself. Let me out of this chair. Why, George, any time you get me into this nest of thieves again, you'll have to threaten me more than with a razor. Well, just put the 75 cents on the counter, then, kid. Okay, Mr. McDonald, your next step in the chair. Mm, six bits for a shampoo. That's the dirtiest way to get clean I ever heard of. So long, Dillinger. Six bits for a shampoo. Why, I'd shampoo the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral for six bits. Compared with that guy, Jesse James was just a scared kid with a dry water pistol. I'll get his life. bits for a simple little shampoo. My gosh, I used to get my car washed for 80 cents. You must think I'm some kind of a yokel to sit still for a kind of a... All delight. right, dearie, all right, relax. You're home now, safe with Mother. Hey, Molly, you know what that Nick the Barber tried to do? That ham-handed scout gardener tried he to... He tried to charge you 75 cents for a shampoo. Yeah. And you stormed out of the shop and you're going to shampoo it yourself. Yeah, 75 cents for... Hey, how'd you know? Well, the barber just called up. I lit the hot water heater right away so the water would be hot and you could shampoo your own hair. Oh, so he called up, did he? What did he want? He wants his apron back. Well, he... Huh? Here, let me unpin it for you. Oh, my gosh. There. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. No wonder everybody looked at me so funny. Why, you look like a flat-chested Mother Hubbard, did he? Hmm. I'll have uh, Beulah drop this bib off at the barbershop on her way home. Now sit down and relax. Gee, boy, am I embarrassed. Wearing that big apron all the way home. You must have really been angry, huh? Angry? One more word out of him and I'd have shoved his barber pole down his noisy old throat. Oh, dear. Six bits for a shampoo. Why, that's outrageous. I don't think that's so unreasonable. I always pay a dollar and a half myself. Though it's worth it not to have to sit there and hear the patriots talk about how much revenue the government is losing by closing the racetracks. Well, my gosh. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Mr. McGee. Hello, Alice. Hi, Alice. You've been out in the wind, Mr. McGee? Your face is awfully red. <laughs> well, he had a little argument with the barber, Alice. He came home hotter than a depot stove. 
<laughs> well, my gosh, six bits for a shampoo at that barbershop. Don't you think that's ridiculous, Alice? Seventy-five cents? Yeah. Oh, it certainly is, Mr. McGee. They can't make any money at those prices. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't know, Alice, why he doesn't wash his hair when he takes a shower anyway. Except that he's usually singing so loud he couldn't hear himself ask himself if he wanted to. <laughs> oh, well, I never hear him. But lately I've been so busy with my charts, I don't hear anything. What charts, Alice? You studying navigation so you can find your way home between the boys? <laughs> hey, that's not so bad. Between the boys. You see, if you spell a B-U-O-Y-S, it's a play on words. Ain't funny, McGee. <laughs> I was kind of pleased with it myself. <laughs> what charts, Alice? Oh, uh, my astrological chart. Oh. I was casting some horoscopes for some friends. I'll do yours sometime. Mm. Are you a Capricorn? Am I a Capricorn? I'm an elk and a legionnaire, and I'm oh. mighty proud of both. <laughs> no, no, I mean, what month were you born in, Mr. McGee? Well, uh, he was born shortly before Thanksgiving, Alice. And all white meat he was, too. <laughs> He's a Scorpio. What do you mean I'm a Scorpio? A Scorpio is a big crab with a stinger in his stern. <laughs> and if you mean that I... No. <laughs> no, no, McGee. Uh, Scorpio is merely the sign under which you were born. I was not born under a sign. <laughs> I was born five miles west of Peoria on top of Kickapoo Hill. <laughs> No, Mr. McGee. Now, look. There are 12 different signs of the Zodiac, see? Is that so? Yes. And everybody is born under the influence of certain stars and planets, depending on what time of the year you were born. I think McGee was born during an eclipse of the moon, Alice. <laughs> he drove such a big shadow. <laughs> oh, no fooling, Mr. McGee. It's very interesting. I've started to study astrology. Hmm? For instance, your horoscope for January warns that people born under this sign must not let themselves be imposed upon financially. Aha! You see, Molly, that barber was trying to impose on a Scorpio financially. <laughs> I knew all of it. Is Scorpio a good sign, Alice? Oh, Creeper is one of the best, Mr. McGee. Yes? Yes, but you must do as your horoscope says if you want to be happy. Yeah. You must control your temper, make allowances for other people, and follow through on any projects you have started. Like oh. washing your hair. Oh, <laughs> is he going to wash his hair? <laughs> I just washed mine. That's why I'm wearing this towel around my head. Oh, my gosh, is that a towel? <laughs> I was just about to tell you I thought that was the best-looking hat I ever saw you wear. <laughs> Oh, did you wash your hair, Alice? Oh, I just finished. I'd have taken a bath, too, but the hot water is all gone. What? The water I was planning to use for my shampoo? Now, just a darn minute, Alice. What's the uh, idea? Uh, uh, Scorpio? <laughs> Control your temper. Make allowances. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. McGee. Oh, forget it, kid. <laughs> it's okay. Far be it for me to stand between you and Glamour. Use all the water you want. However... However what? However, if she don't want her pretty little neck wrung, she better light that water heater before I count to ten. One, two, three... I'm going! Billy Mills from the orchestra and fascinating rhythm.
Hey, Molly, you think the water's hot enough yet so as I can have a shampoo it for It should be, dearie, although Alice used every drop of it, you know. Yeah, just like a woman. With three of them in the house, a man hasn't got a chance. Oh, now listen. Men are just as bad. Huh? When Uncle Dennis was staying here, he was always taking a shower. Oh, well, I didn't begrudge him, though. The only way he ever took water was through his skin. <laughs> well, my goodness. Oh, your water's probably hot enough now, McGee. Okay, I'll run up and have my shampoo before... Hey, tell Beulah to see that nobody turns off the heater for a while. I'll tell her right now. Oh, Beulah! Beulah! Somebody ball for Beulah? <laughs> I'm going to shampoo my hair, Beulah. <laughs> he got a little irked at the barber, Beulah. Thought he was being overcharged, so he's going to do it himself. Yeah, son. But them poor barbers, they sure work hard giving folks the shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> they just wax their fingers to the bone. <laughs> Are you inferring that I have an ossified skull, my good woman? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but my cousin, he's a Tom Sawyer artist, and I hear a lot about how hard he works. <laughs> well, Mr. McGee doesn't need a tonsorial artist. He had his out in 1928. <laughs> tonsorial refers to barbers, Molly. Oh. It's from the Greek, tonsolasi marabatorium, meaning the quickest way to a man's scalp is to take a shortcut. <laughs> well, for goodness sake, you university man, Mr. McGee. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he isn't, Beulah, but he has an unusually well-rounded background, though. Yes, and I can see that. <laughs> you know what that big razorback wanted to charge me for a shampoo, Beulah? <clears throat> Seventy-five cents. <clears throat> Imagine that. Six bits for a gob of soap suds and a dash of slamiel number five. <laughs> that don't sound like no overcharge to me, sir. Barbers give you a real good shampoo. My cousin said, phone me in one day telling me I ought to charge at least a dollar. For customers? No, ma'am, for barbers. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. My barber is named Nick, and if he can't nick you with his razor, he'll nick you with the price list. Well, personally, I think barbershop prices are very reasonable, McGee. My cousin thinks so, too, ma'am. And he's the head of his class in barber college. Get a degree, Bueller? Yes, a Ph.D. Mm -hmm. Oh, for goodness sake. Doctor of philosophy? No, ma'am. <laughs> Physiognomy is de-whiskered. <laughs> well, this isn't getting my curly locks beautified. See that nobody turns the heater off for a while, will you, Beulah? Do you want me to light it for you, sir? Oh, it is lit, Beulah. No, it ain't, ma'am. Excuse me. What do you mean? What? Well, I see the tank was full of hot water a little while ago, folks, so I embraces the opportunity to wrench out some window curtains. Oh. <laughs> you mean it isn't hot now, Beulah? Right now, sir, it's as cold as a walrus's knees. Mm -hmm. Well, light the heater again, Beulah, if Mr. McGee still wants the shampoo. You're doggone right I still want a shampoo. Though I don't know why I need any hot water. The number of times I've been in a lather today, I ought to be as pure as a bookstore in Boston. <laughs> he ought to be as pure as a bookstore. <laughs> Love that man. <laughs> This is a fine state of how do you do? How do you do? Fine. How are all the... Look, now, this... <laughs> this is no joking matter, Molly. Gee whiz, a man can't get enough warm water in his own house to steam a monocle. 
I ever build another house, I'll build it in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Well, the barber's probably just as perturbed as you are, McGee. He thinks you stole his apron. Well, it takes a thief to catch a thief. I'll tell him when he can get it back. He should live so long. <laughs> Hand me the phone. Certainly, Scorpio. Here you are, and wear it in good health. <laughs> Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Nick's Barbershop at 14th and... Okay, Mert, how's yourself? Oh, dear. Diz, eh? What's eh, Mert? Your brother. Dropped 1,500 feet out of a what? Heavenly days, McGee. Was he killed? No, just amused. <laughs> He's a movie out operator. Dropped 1,500 feet out of Gone with the Wind and nobody even noticed it. <laughs> what's eh, Mert? Okay, I'll call later. Fine's busy. Well, the water ought to be hot again half an hour or so, and you can get this shampoo over with, which will make me very happy indeed. Make you happy? My gosh, I've never been so exonerated in all my life. Everybody's stealing my hot water. You don't mean exonerated. You mean exasperated. Go on. Exasperated is when your time is up. Like when the time limit on a contract has exasperated. Nah, that's expiration. I thought expiration was when a guy put on a pair of fur pants and went looking for the South Pole or something. Are you thinking of exploration? Well, then what does exonerated mean? Exonerated is when you have have been found not guilty of something. Well, who's been guilty of snitching all my hot water? Me? (laughs) No, sir. Everybody else in the house has been the one. Oh, hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hello, Molly. Hiya, pal. What are you scowling at? I'm living in a nest of water pirates, Junior. (laughs) You'd think this was the Mojave Desert, the way everybody steals water. Well, uh, somebody explain the situation to me. I came in late. Well, uh, he thought 75 cents was too much to pay the barber for a shampoo, Mr. Wilcox, so he came home to do it himself, and every time he gets a tank full of hot water, somebody uses it. Yeah, the way people glom onto it around here, you think it was the dew off the last rose of summer. Hey, look, pal, you're getting very irritable lately. Huh? Last week, you were raving and ranting because nobody trusted your hand-picked mushrooms. Now you're sour-pussing around because you have to wait for a shampoo. What's the matter with you? Well, gee whiz. McGee Mr. Wilcox is right Your temper is getting as ragged as a two dollar retread I can't help it It's hereditary If you think I'm nervous and irritable You should have known my great-great-grandfather Who was he irritable? Why? Well, he was just impatient Couldn't wait for letters to be delivered and answered Couldn't wait for anything Kept saying, why don't somebody invent the telephone? What's everybody waiting for? <laughs> What's that guy Bell doing anyway? Why don't he get with us? <laughs> they say Grandpa was a terror. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that bad temper should have smoothed out in three generations, pal. What if you do have to wait a few minutes for some hot water? What's 20 minutes or less in a lifetime? Tell him what can happen in 20 minutes or less, Mr. Wilcox. Oh, you don't have to tell me. Why, in 20 minutes or less, pal, a Johnson's glow-coated linoleum dries to a perfect protective finish. Yeah. Restores new life and luster to the faded and worn surface. You gave him that opening, Molly. Whose side are you on, anyway? (laughs) Say, listen, sweetheart, we're all on the same side. Aren't you happy with our product? Well, no, not too happy. It don't spell anything backwards. <laughs> I, uh, look, pal, I was merely pointing out that 20 minutes or less can be a happy little period of time. Think of the housewife who pours a little Johnson's blow coat out on her tired old linoleum and spreads it around with a long-handled applier. Then think how the world brightens for her in just 20 minutes or less as the blow coat magically gives her kitchen floor a new lease on life. 
Do you ever spend 20 minutes or less in a dentist's chair, Waxy? Certainly. And well spent, too. You were? No, it was. But, but look, I didn't come in here to tell you how to improve the shining hours, pal. Uh, Nick sent me. Who? Nick, the barber. He said to tell you to keep that bib you walked out with. Well, that was very kind of him, I'm sure. Yeah, he said Fibber could keep it till spring when he comes in for his next haircut. So long now. Oh. Oh. So he said that, did he? If he didn't give the best haircut in town, I'd never darken his hand towels again. <laughs> Bye, George. Hey, you think the water's hot again, Molly? Well, it should be, dearie. And this time, I don't think anybody will cheat you out of it. Well, they better not. The first mug, male or female, that lays a hand on a hot water faucet in this joint is going to get the... Come in. Oh, hello, Dr. Gamble. Hello, Molly. Hello, Mushmouth. <laughs> Hi, Doctor. Hey, you look kind of bushed. What you been doing? Treating a centipede for fallen arches? <laughs> oh, same old routine. Get to bed at 3 a.m., phone rings at 4.15. 5.30, a new little taxpayer starts squawking as loud as a full-grown one. <laughs> at 7, I'm back in bed. At 9, I'm back at the hospital trying to be patient with patients who are trying my patience. Well, you certainly look like you could use a good night's sleep, Doctor. I wish my father and mother had been grizzly bears so I could sleep till about April. As it is, I'm in and out of the hay like a Nebraska pitchfork. <laughs> Don't you even get time to shave? Haven't for two days Just stopped in here because my car broke down the next block Take them half an hour to fix it You know what? What, Doctor? I'd give my right eye That's the one with the evil leer in it <laughs> For a hot shower and the use of McGee's no doubt dull razor Got any hot water in the house? Why, uh, well, uh, uh <laughs> Hot water? Yeah, hot water. You know, that stuff you toss a bone in to make soup. Why, certainly, Doctor. As a matter of fact, we just heated a tank for Yeah, you see... Uh, we... I see you are two lovely, charming people. Mm -hmm. And now, if you'll excuse me, I shall run upstairs and swap the frame. If you hear a rusty clatter, pay no attention. It'll be my pores opening. Mm. <laughs> well, say it, McGee. Yeah, and go back to vaudeville. <laughs> Are the King's Men with the Whistler's Song. Whistle all the day, you will find the sun is shining while you whistle your blues away. Like a symphony of the birds and the bees and the sigh of the trees in the morning. Whistle all day long, the clouds on high will say goodbye and lazily roll along. Whistle loud and clear All the world will be bright if you start the day right in the morning See the sunbeams dancing round so happy and gay Hear them saying, isn't this a wonderful day? Whistle your blues and whistle your cares and whistle your troubles away You will be in style if you pucker up your lips and keep on whistling all the while Like a whip at the break of the day, you will say, what a wonderful morning. Look at that kiss, and then you blow real hard. Everybody's sweet. You will get a grin or a cheery smile from everyone you meet. Soldiers, sailors, they all know this system can't be beat. If 
you want to be popular, pluck your choppers and treat, 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 treat. Whistle all the day, you will find the sun is shining while you whistle your blues away. Like a symphony, you will be bright if you start the day right. Like the birds and the bees and the sigh of the breeze at the break of the day, you will say it's a wonderful morning. Standing in the shower for almost half an hour, the door fetch me in. Hey, McGee, I helped myself to a couple of your clean handkerchiefs. I hope you don't mind. Where's McGee, Molly? Out in the kitchen, Doctor. You feel better now? My dear, I feel so much better that with a little luck, I can get through the day without folding up like a summer resort card table. <laughs> Thanks for the hospitality. Not at all, Doctor. And the man came to the door and said your card be ready in about ten minutes. Uh, it's a wonderful world we're living in, isn't it? I told one of my patients who had sat on a darning needle. Why worry? Everything comes out all right in the end. <laughs> What's McGee doing? Well, he's just sitting there with his shotgun across his knee. A shotgun across his knee? Yes. What's the idea? Going to flush a covey of quail out of the icebox? <laughs> no, he's just making sure that... Uh, well, it's a long story, Doctor. And if it's about your husband, I'd like to hear it. He's a fascinating little character. Well... It started in the barber shop. The barber was going to charge him 75 cents for a shampoo, and McGee thought it was too much. He would. McGee thinks no more of a quarter than I do of my third cervical vertebra. Yeah. And he came home to give himself a shampoo. But Alice used all the hot water, and he waited and heated some more. And then Beulah used all the hot water, and he heated some more, and... I get it. You got it. <laughs> well, my epidermis is more important than his scalp, if only because there's more of it. But what's this about the shotgun? Well, after you took your bath, he lighted the heater again. Now he's sitting there guarding it with his shotgun. He says anybody who steals this batch of hot water is going to be so full of lead, you could use them to write a letter to your Aunt Minnie. Well, I haven't got an Aunt Minnie, but my sister Gertrude would be happy to get a postcard. <laughs> tell McGee I'm very sorry that... No, no, I'll tell him myself. Where's the kitchen? Through this door? No, no, here. no, please don't. What's the matter? That's the hall closet. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, would you excuse me while I smoke a hot water pipe of peace with your bitter half? Well, I'll do better than that, Doctor. I'll come with you. Right this way. You know, it really has been exasperating for him, Doctor. And you know how he is when he sets his mind on doing something. I do indeed. He follows through like a broken garter. <laughs> Shall we knock? I do. Who is it? <laughs> Your best friend and severest critic. Or, reading from left to right, your wife and your physician. Okay, come in. Oh, hi, Doc. Feel better? Infinitely. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I used your hot water, my boy. In extenuation, I can only plead my ignorance of the situation. I told him how many times you'd lost the hot water, dearie. No, that's okay, Doc. But believe me, I'm making sure of this tank full. Anybody lays a hand on this water is going to wind up as full of holes as a German treaty. Is your car fixed yet? Well, it will be any minute. I just dropped back here to say goodbye and thank you for a delightful dunk. Hmm. Well, I'll go out with you and see you get started all right, Doc. I don't think anybody will swipe this water now. I've warned them enough. McGee, now, please be careful with that gun. Okay. I'll just set it down here in the corner. Oh, heavenly days, McGee. Look what you did. What a neat third act curtain, boy. You blew a hole right through the hot water tank. Why, this is impossible. The gun wasn't even loaded. 
looks nice since you had your shampoo, McGee. Yeah, it sure does, doesn't it? And we're sorry we had to make you keep your barbershop open after hours, Mr. Nick. Forget it, sweet sis. I couldn't lock the door till I got out of here anyway. Good night. Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Inner Sanctum, followed by Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Two lengthy shows tonight, so for me, it's to the back of the studio and that big overstuffed couch where I'll listen in along with you as we enjoy Escape and the episode, The Birds. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are in a farmhouse on the southern coast of England. The autumn countryside around you desolate and bleak. And you know that in the dusk outside, waiting patiently for you, silently watching for you, is an enemy from whom there may be no escape. Listen now as Escape brings you Daphne du Maurier's story, The Bird. The wind changed overnight, and it was winter. Until then, the autumn had been mellow, soft. The earth was rich where the plow had turned it. I didn't do the plowing, no. My wartime disability had seen to that. They gave me mostly the lighter repair jobs to do in the three days a week that I worked at the farm. A bank to build up or a gate to mend at the far end of the peninsula where the sea surrounded the farmland on either side. Deborah and I had taken a cottage up here to try again, for the sake of the children. And it seemed to be working fairly well. I enjoyed my work on the farm. It was pleasant to pause at midday to eat the lunch that Debbie prepared and brought to me. We'd sit there on the cliff while I ate and we'd watch the birds. So many of them left. Yes. Oh, the autumn's better than spring for watching them. How far? Oh, well, in the spring, they're content, they're full of purpose, they know where they're going, there's no delay. But then in autumn, it's different. The birds that don't migrate seem to follow a, a pattern of their own. Pattern? Hmm. Great flocks of them here on the peninsula. Restless, uneasy, wheeling, circling, coming to rest, and flying again. The land birds and the gulls down there in the bay. 
strange sort of rhythm in their movement. They don't really go anywhere. Doesn't seem to be any purpose to it. No. Or if there is, we don't see it. They're restlessness. They're more restless this year than usual, seems to me. Do you know this morning two girls flew so close they knocked off my cap? You said yesterday when the school bus let her off, there was quite a few of them overhead as if they'd been following. Oh, well, I suppose it means a hard winter. They always seem to know. Perhaps a message comes to them in autumn. A warning. About winter? And about death? No. Many of them will die, and I think they know it. Perhaps they feel they have to... Fill their motion out before they die. Like people who know their time is up and run about stupidly driving themselves. I wish you wouldn't talk like that, Nat. That that black side of you that stirred up the trouble between us before. Oh, I'm sorry, Debbie. But it, it's come over me lately as I've watched them. The land birds mingling with the sea birds in a sort of strange, unnatural partnership. Land and sea. And life and death. That night it turned colder, yet the wind strengthened. Around two in the morning, the sound of it beating against the house woke me up. I lay there with this slow, even breathing of Debbie beside me. And I thought of Jill and Johnny in the room across the hall. We seemed safe. Secure. And then I heard it. The tapping on the window. First I thought it was a loose shutter, and then I realized it wasn't. I got out of bed, went to the window. Opened it. Suddenly, something brushed against my hand. It jabbed my knuckles, and then was gone over the roof and behind the cottage. Yeah. What? Uh, it's all right, Debbie. It was a bird. I don't know what kind. Bird? Hmm. Wind must have driven it against the window, so my hands wet. I blood. No beggar drew blood. Good sleep, Nat. Uh, must have been frightened and stabbed at me in the dark. Well, for the... Nat, the window seat you are flapping. I've already seen it. It's some bird trying to get in. Send them away. I can't sleep with that noise. All right. All right. Oh, I'm off with you. Little, stay away from my face. Get away. Never in the world. Did you see that? There were half a dozen this time. They went for me. They tried to peck my eyes. Oh, yes. I'm not making it up there. Huh? But it's Jill. Go see what's the matter. Right. Coming, Jill. Where's Johnny? I'm just going to get it. What's the matter? Quick, get the children out of here. Get the children out of here and shut the door. Quick! I pushed them out of the room. And now I was alone with the bird. I seized a blanket and I used it as a weapon, sweeping it right and left. 
and I could hear the thud of bodies, but they kept coming at me. They're jabbing my hands, my head, trying for my eyes with beaks as sharp as pointed forks. And I wrapped a blanket around my head, beat about with my bare hands, blindly. I don't know how long I fought them. Finally, the beating of wings lessened, and then I still I unwrapped the blanket from my face. The cold gray dawn had seeped into the room. The floor was littered with the tiny corpses, the birds, robins, finches, sparrows, larks. Some had lost feathers in the fight. The others had blood, my blood, on their beaks. Second, I went to the window. And the fierce sea broke harshly in the day. But there was not a bird in sight. Not a sparrow chattered in the hedge. No early thrush or blackbird pecked on the grass for worms. There was no sound at all but the east wind and the sea. Matt? Uh, I'm all right, Debbie. Oh, I didn't know that. You're covered with blood. Some of it's the birds. Look on the floor. Oh. There's so many of them. Yeah. Fifty. I counted them. Come on, darling. I'll clean the room later when I have more stomach for it. It must have been ghastly for me. Are the children all right? Yes, I've put Jill to work making tea. Johnny's in our bed just now asleep. Not why. The birds? Well, it must be the weather. The sudden change confused them. It has to be that. The sea's ready, Mum. Oh, good. Did you drive away the birds? Yes, they're all gone now, Jill. I hope they won't come again. Perhaps if we put breadcrumbs for them outside the window, they'll eat that and fly away. Breakfast. I've already had breakfast. I'd better hurry or I'll be late for the school bus. But, uh, oh, uh, I'll walk with you to the road, Joe. Yes, I think that'd be a good idea. I'll go get my coat and book. I didn't want her to walk alone. Matt, they... They wouldn't come back again. Well, I... I'll go over to the farm and find out if they heard anything during the night. You keep all the windows and doors closed, Debbie, just to be on the safe side, hmm? Hello? Anyone about? Oh, Miss Rockin. Was the mystery around, Mrs. Drake? Uh, summer's about, but can you tell me where this cold is coming from? Russia? I've never seen such a change. And it's going on the wireless, says. Something to do with the Arctic Circle. Ah, uh, we didn't turn on the wireless this morning. <clears throat> Fact is, we had um, trouble in the night. Oh, kiddies, poorly. No, no, not exactly, no. We, we uh, had some trouble with birds. I, uh... Why, it sounds absurd, but they flew in the window and attacked us. Attack. Now, Mr. Hawkins. No, I'm not making it up, Mrs. Trigg. There are 50 dead birds on the floor of the children's bedroom. Mm, foreign birds. No. No, the kind you see about here every day. Really? Well, you ought to write up and ask the Manchester Guardian. They have an officer, Harry. Hey, morning, Hawkins. Uh, Trigg. Mr. Hawkins has been telling about some birds last night. Oh. They, uh, he says they attacked him. Attacked? Are you sure? Quite. Yeah. Never heard of a thing like that before. Hungry, maybe. 
looking for food. Mm. You, you put out some crumbs. Yes, of course. I'll be up tomorrow as usual. Good morning. Mm. Ordinary birds, he says. Attacked him. Now, what did you take us for, coming around with a story like that? He's a strange one, he is, with those superior airs. You see the look he gave us when we didn't swallow his story? Attacked him. I think he reads too many of those books. Did you find out anything at the farm? No. The trick's brilliant advice is to put out some crumbs. Debbie, I looked all around this morning. There's not a single bird in sight outdoors. Where's they've gone? I don't know. And the trick's had no trouble last night. Not only that, they clearly thought I was imagining it. Oh, I heard Trig mutter something about my superior airs and reading too many books as I walked away. Nothing's real to those clubs until it hits them over the head. Well, they're nice enough people, Ned. Just that they're isolated up here. Well, that certainly is a polite word for it. I haven't been able to face going into the children's room. The birds... Oh, yes, I'll go and clean it up. I suppose the least I can do is give the little beggars a decent burial. <laughs> I dropped the dead birds into a sack, went down to the beach to bury them. The wind was bitter cold. I dug a pit in the sand with my heel and started to empty the sack into it, but the wind caught the birds and whirled them along the shore. There was something ugly in the sight, but the tide would take them when it turned. I looked out at the crested breakers, and then I saw them. The gulls. Out there, riding the seas. Thousands. Tens of thousands. They rose and fell in the trough of the sea like a mighty fleet at anchor, waiting for the turn of the tide. Waiting. They stretched as far as my eye could reach. They covered the sea. I started up the steep path home, almost running. Someone should know it, that someone should be told. But who? And then as I opened the front door, I saw a deadly beside the wireless glistening. Damage and even attacking individuals. It is thought that the Arctic airstream is causing the birds to migrate south in immense numbers, and that intense hunger may drive them to attack human beings. Householders are warned to see to their windows, doors, and chimneys, and to take all precautions for the safety of their children. They've been repeating it every few minutes since you left. Well, perhaps now those empty-headed idiots at the farm will know yes. that I was... You sound almost dead. Oh, don't talk rot, Debbie. It's just that when people with half a brain try to tell me Can't that... Can't you I... forget that superior attitude of yours, even now? Don't use that word superior to me. I'm sick of it. So am I, Ned. So am I. You... Oh, I... I'm sorry, dear. This thing has made me a little nervy, I guess. Yes, I... I'm sorry too much. Nat, one of the bulletins said the birds seemed to be waiting. For what? I don't know. They said the birds are hungry. 
you doing? There's a hammer. I'm going to get some boards and see to the doors and windows as they tell you to. You think they could break in with the windows shut to sparrows and robins and such? How could they? I wasn't thinking about the smaller birds. I was thinking about the gulls. The gulls? Debbie, have you ever been close enough to get a good look at a gull's beak? There must be a hundred thousand of them out there, riding the sea, waiting. I worked upstairs, boarding the bedroom windows. And I wondered whether they'd take these precautions up at the farm. I doubted it. It'd probably be a big joke to the trigs. But according to the wireless, it was no joke. At first, some of the bulletins had been light in tone, but as the morning wore on, the concern in the announcer's voice became more and more apparent. Well, after I'd finished upstairs, I took the rest of the lumber down, boarded up the lower floor windows. What they ought to do is call the army out and shoot the birds. That would soon scare them off. Betty, uh, uh, how are we off for food? Ah, uh, Nat, whatever next. Now, never mind. What have you got in the larder? Certainly tomorrow, you know that. I don't keep uncooked food hanging about. It goes off. But I can put some things in tomorrow. Tomorrow? It's only three in the afternoon and it's almost dark. Oh, yes. Sky. Looks so heavy. Now, what's the matter? You've gone quite white. Look. The tide's turned. The gulls. They've risen. Circling over the sea. Not a sound from them. Nat. I'm going for Jill. I'll wait for her at the bus stop. You keep Johnny inside and keep the door shut. <laughs> Outside, I looked for a weapon. For the hoe was all I could find. And I went to the top of the hill and waited. The surf was booming below. And a smudge rose behind the clay hills in the distance. It widened, divided, and spread north, east, south, west. It was a vast cloud of birds. It passed close by, heading inland, upcountry. They had no business with the people here on the peninsula. Rooks, crows, jackdaws, magpies, birds that usually preyed upon the smaller species. But this afternoon they were bound on some other mission. They've been given the towns, I thought. They know what they have to do. We don't matter so much here. The gulls will serve for us. The others go to the towns. And finally the last came. When Jill got up, I took her by the hand. Oh, I just brought it along. Come along now, darling. Let's go home. It's cold. No hanging about. Huh? I want to play a bit in the rain. Uh, not tonight. Now, come on. No door. Look, Daddy. Look over there. Look at the girls. The fly in from the sea. They're so quiet. Yes. Uh, do hurry, darling. Where are they flying to? Oh, up country, I dare say, where, where it's warmer. Don't go so fast. I can't keep up. Hurry. The girls, it's circling. 
It looks like you're waiting for something. Yeah, it's a signal, an order. What? Nothing. Come on, yeah, faster. But I can't go faster. Uh, wait, wait. There's Trig in his two-seater. for some fun, Hawking. Have you heard the news? Everyone's gone bird crazy, talking of nothing else. I'm going to take a crack at him with my gun. Uh, could you run Jill home first? Oh, yes, of course. Not room for you, too, I'm afraid. Oh, that's all right. Just get Jill home. Get in, Julia. You like to come shooting with me? No, thanks. Have you boarded your windows? No. A lot of nonsense. They like to scare you on the wireless. I'd board them if I were you. Oh, go on. You're windy. Well, see you in the morning. Give you a skull breakfast. I watched Trig drive Jill toward the cottage. And then I followed on foot. The sound made me look up. The gulls were approaching. The order had been given. And the farm was their target. The black bat gulls were leading, and they were bigger birds. Damn it. Turn. And suddenly one of them stole that miss. Miss. Rose to dive again, and then came the other. Six, seven, six, dozen. I dropped the hole, covered my head with my arms, and ran towards the cottage. They kept coming at us in the air with beating wings. Each stab of a swooping beak tore my flesh. I had to keep them from my eyes. And with each dive, they became colder. And they had no thought for themselves. When they missed, they crashed, bruised and broken on the ground. And as I ran, I come kicking the spent bodies in front of me. Now the aimed are better. Closer to my eyes. Closer. And then I reached the door of the cottage. Let me in! Let me in! And then, above me, I saw the gannet, poised against the sky for his dive. The gulls drew back. Only the huge gannet. The wings folded suddenly to its body, and it dropped like a stone at me. The door opened and I flung myself in. Oh, Lord, what was that? A janet. It has put my skull. Better now? Yes, thanks. You're, you're quite the wound, are the children? In the other room, I didn't want them to see that way. No. Your hands were the worst. I'll be all right. We'd uh, better all sleep here in the kitchen tonight. I'll bring down the mat. All right. I'll fix something tasty for supper and wasn't prepared. Wait. It's sound. What is it? A bird crowding against the outside of the house, trying to find a way in. Matt! Don't. They, they can't get in. I tell you, they cannot get in. The boards will hold. For how long? How long? Stop it. Here. I'll turn on the wire. I'll turn them out. There. There, better. Yes. Anything so I can't hear the whole either. It's only the food that worries me, Debbie. But now I've noticed that the birds come in with the tide, but the tide will go out about nine tonight, and we should have a lull of about six hours. I could slip out during that time and go to the farm. See if they can do the something. Yes, ma'am. The national emergency was proclaimed at four o'clock this afternoon. Yes. Measures are being taken to safeguard the lives and property of the population, but it must be understood that these are not easy to affect immediately, due to the unforeseen and unparalleled nature of the present crisis. It is absolutely imperative that everyone remain indoors until further notice. The 
numbers are attacking everything in sight. The population is asked to remain calm and not to panic. There will be no further transmission from any broadcasting station until 7 a.m. tomorrow. Like this all over, then. All over. Betty? Go back, Papa. Let's, let's forget it. Let's all just try to get some sleep. down the chimney. No. Where's the oil? On the shelf. Gabby, I'll just squeak into the chimney. Stand back. Maybe throw the oil on the coal. That'll get him. Dad, then I can't stand it. Get me paper, wood, anything it'll burn. Hurry. Their charred bodies get dropping down the chimney. I raked them to one side, but more came. I threw on the rest of the oil. We filed papers on it, kindling anything. The flames roared higher. More bodies. The stench was unbearable. I kept at it. Finally, they gave up. And I went over to the basement. I was sick. Around nine in the morning, the rustling ceased. I opened the door a crack. Crushed birds were deep about the house, but there was not a living bird in sight. The tide had gone out. Now was my chance to get food and fuel. I ran all the way to the farm. There was no smoke from the chimney. I came round the corner of the house and stopped in the doorway, almost covered with dead birds for Mr. and Mrs. Trigg. What was left of them... Beside him with his gun. Beside her, a broken umbrella. I loaded the two-seater with all the food I could find, enough for perhaps three days, and drove back to the cottage. I told Debbie the Triggs didn't need their car for a while, and had told me to take it. She said nothing... And toward nightfall, the birds came back again. We sat by the fire and listened to the rustle as they crowded against the house. But this time there was a new sound. They brought up their heavier forces against us, the birds with larger beaks. I could hear the sound of tiny bits of wood being torn away. They stayed through the side, Then they leave. Then they'll come back again. They'll keep coming back. Matt. Yes? The pigs. They're dead, aren't they? Yes. They're all alone. Strange. I keep closer to you than I'd ever. 
that it should take something like this to bring us... Debbie, you, you may be interested to know that right now, I do not feel very superior. Don't nap. I don't know, Debbie. I do not know. I listened to the sound of the splintering wood. And I wondered how many million years of memory was stored in those little brains behind the stabbing beaks, the piercing eyes. Now giving them this instinct to destroy mankind with all the depth precision of machines. And I switched on the wireless. was dead. And I reached for the cigarette. There was only one left in the packet. And I lit it. I threw the empty packet on the fire and watched it burn. Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you The Bird by Daphne du Maurier, specially adapted for radio by Robert Wright, starring Ben Wright with Virginia Gregg. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Ann Morrison, Ann Whitfield, and John Dodsworth. Your announcer, George Walsh. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.